0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and Exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24 7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID 19. Call now at 1 888 Recovery. That's 1 888 Recovery. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning, and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm Marianne Ritchie. It's hard to believe, but it's the last Sunday in April. And we welcome a very special guest today, Dr. Maureen Kelly, Director of Society Health Reproductive Medicine. She's also an attending physician at Pennsylvania Hospital. Today, our topic is infertility. We've learned so much about conception and pregnancy in the past few decades, but it's still a beautiful process and a bit of a mystery in many ways with many moving parts. We have so much to cover today, great information from Dr. Maureen Kelly. Welcome Maureen, so nice to have you here today. Thank you, Mary Ann, it's nice to be here. So let's get right to it. What is the definition of infertility and how common would you say it is?
0: Well, the definition of infertility has um, become more extensive in recent years. Uh, Traditionally, it is uh, defined as the inability to conceive after a year of unprotected sex. Uh, we have refined that a bit in recent years to acknowledge the fact that um, many women are waiting to conceive until later. And we now include uh, that it, within that definition for women who are 35 and over, uh, if they do not conceive within six months of trying, um, that they should seek help.
1: And, and you bring up a good point because in my own mind, I wondered how much of an effect that is that if women pursue career and delay marriage and childbirth. So you covered that. How common is it, Maureen? It's actually
0: quite common. I mean, depending on which part of the world you're talking about, here in the United States, uh, we estimate about 12 to 15% of couples experience infertility. Um, In other parts of the world, is it higher? In China, it's about 25%, um, places in Africa uh, also about one in four. So it really depends on which part of the world you're talking about. But right here, uh, it's estimated to be about 12 to 15% of the population.
1: Wow. And so, as you mentioned, the parameters you said are different for a woman who's 35 and over. So how much time should pass before a couple you? You mentioned six months. I would think it's best to get right to you a doctor who has expertise in diagnosing and treating infertility, because the longer a couple waits, um, you lose time. The faster they see you, the more cost-effective and the better results, am I right? Yes, that's correct.
0: And so, as I mentioned, for couples under 35, we recommend uh, 12 months of attempting conception uh, before seeking help, and for 35 in over six months. Uh, and at that point um, the uh, our ability to successfully treat is much higher than couples who delay coming in and and uh, uh, wait for you know a number of years before seeking help
1: now no traditionally uh, women were evaluated but how often would you say that men uh, and or women have the issue that needs to be addressed
0: so, we do evaluate um, both members of a couple uh, immediately because about 40 to 50 percent of the time we actually find the problem rests with the um, male partner.
1: And sometimes it's with both people in the yes, couple, Yes,
0: sometimes there is, uh, sometimes we have more than one factor contributing to a decrease in fertility, uh, which is a why we look at all uh, aspects of um, fertility right from the outset. So we immediately will look at the men, we look at the different aspects of a woman that contribute to fertility, and usually within about three, three and a half weeks, we've gathered all the data we need to be able to recommend things to help.
1: It's incredible. Um, Maureen, there are certain, whenever we talk about medical conditions or diseases, what gives people peace of mind is knowing that different factors cause different issues. And what we try to do, at least on our show all the time, and doctors and practice here are the things you can't control, your genetics, um, what part of the country where you were born, if exposed to this or that environment. But our hope is that if we inform people of things they can control, and that's what we're going to spend some time on today, how much of a role does weight play? So we've learned that
0: uh, a number of lifestyle factors play a very big role in fertility and weight of course is one of them. So um, individuals who are underweight or overweight, uh, either ends of the extreme, if you will, will have uh, decreased fertility. And this is the case for women and men. So we not only see a decrease in fertility, but we, for men, we might see if a man is overweight, uh, lower sperm numbers, for example, or some abnormal hormonal um, levels. And uh, for women, similarly, we see an increase in ovulation problems sometimes manifested by irregular menstrual cycles. The um, other thing that we notice with uh, uh, weight is that um, in couples who are overweight or just one member of the couple's overweight, there is unfortunately a higher incidence of miscarriage as well.
1: And I could understand why that might affect um, the woman carrying the baby or hormone imbalance in the woman, but it's interesting that if a if the man involved is overweight, that that could affect the miscarriage as well. Yes. Well,
0: um, when men are overweight, they have increased levels of estrogen. Uh, so oh. estrogen is produced by the adipose cells or the fat cells in, in both men and women. For men, uh, we see higher levels of different types of estrogen, which can then impair their sperm. Mm-hmm. So. Of course, the sperm may have the capability of fertilizing an egg, but it may carry within it some abnormalities that ultimately will be detrimental to the embryo.
1: Interesting. And so the best diet for optimum fertility, I know you outlined that the other day.
0: Yes, and and this is important across the board. So whether or not, um, you know, I know people who struggle with their weight. It um, may think that they need to lose a substantial amount of weight before, before we see any um, uh, advantage and actually that's not true. Even just a small amount of weight loss can make a very, very big difference in fertility. Um, and then additionally sep- uh, and separate from weight loss is what kind of diet? a couple following and we find for optimum fertility and this has been proven by multiple studies uh, that have been published. The ideal diet is high in protein, high in vegetables, high in fruits, very low in simple carbohydrates like cakes and candies and pastas for example. Um, Also eating very regularly not going too long with that without eating. So, um, so, that has been very clearly shown, and it is something that is under an individual's control.
1: It's fascinating, but it makes sense because if pregnancy and fertility are driven by hormones, and we know that insulin resistance can play a role in affecting other hormones in a negative way, um, I guess the. the um, uh, complex carbs being more important than simple carbs, simple carbs can really add to the risk of insulin resistance and affecting your other hormones. Quickly, before we jump for a break, does the age of Menarche or when our periods begin, does that affect fertility? So the
0: important thing to know is that a late Menarche predicts an early menopause, almost exactly the opposite of what you might logically conclude. Yeah. So, it, there would be a shorter reproductive lifespan.
1: Sorry about that. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Maureen Kelly. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're back on Your Radio Doctor. So happy to have Dr. Maureen Kelly from Society Hill Reproductive Medicine. Maureen, we we're starting to talk about menarche or when our periods begin and how it can affect um, fertility. And i um, not surprised to hear you say that you would think if it starts late, you might keep your menstrual cycle to a later age, but actually you close off earlier. That's correct. And so it shrinks the amount of time that you can um, reproduce and make babies kind of. Not fair, huh? Right. But it's good for people to know that. So if they're planning a family, that's really important information. What is the most common cause of infertility?
0: Well, for women, the most common cause is uh, an ovulation disorder. uh, And the most common ovulation disorder is something called PCOS, uh, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's actually very common. And uh, most women who have pcos do have symptoms that hint at it Uh, some women actually don't but most commonly women will notice that their cycles aren't regular Um, they may notice that they have some increased hair growth on different parts of their body they may also notice that they have acne or oily skin Uh, and then there can be ultrasound findings so if somebody suspects that uh, she has pcos we We'll do some hormonal evaluation, we will look with ultrasound and try and confirm whether or not uh, she does have this uh, hormonal balance. And this hormonal balance can also lead to either decreased ovulation or even sometimes stop ovulation altogether.
1: Wow. And does that manifest the irregular periods early on or might a young woman start out with regular periods and become irregular? Yes.
0: A woman can have regular cycles, but over time, notice they become irregular. Similarly, a woman may have normal skin, normal hair growth, but as time goes on, she may start to notice maybe in her 20s, even 30s, some increasing changes in her skin. It's also associated with insulin resistance, which you mentioned before. And this insulin mm -hmm. resistance does have uh, an impact on the ovaries. So there are receptors that will respond to insulin on the ovaries and that will alter the ovarian
1: hormones. So it's because there's a little too much androgen or male hormone that's active or a decrease in estrogen or is it not that? Well, it's
0: typically we have high insulin levels which will lead to increased androgens and androgens Mm -hmm. are those hormones in the that are secreted mainly by the ovaries, some in the adrenal gland, but mainly in the ovaries. And those increased androgens will do a number of things. They will either stop ovulation, uh, they could have an impact on the quality of the egg and actually decrease the egg. Uh, but they can. Uh, these androgens will also spill out into the bloodstream and that's where we might start to see things like acne or hair growth or hair loss from the head.
1: So for our listeners, androgen suggests the male hormone or the, the 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 effect that would give you the acne or the, the hair on your arms or upper lip. And the other name I remember memorizing in medical school was Stein Leventhal syndrome. Yes? If people Yes, it was named
0: after that, that's right. It was named after two physicians by the names of Stein and Leventhal and they published the first report. About PCOS in the 1930s, so for many years it was called Stein-Leventhal syndrome. Mm-hmm.
1: So, how does infertility differ from decreased or low fertility? Because some women seem to, uh, you know, walk through, send one letter to the store, could become pre- pregnant, and the next time they have difficulty.
0: Well, the term infertility is is a misnomer for the vast majority of the situations. Infertility means a complete lack of fertility. And, and this is something that we rarely see. Um, decreased fertility is generally what we are dealing with. So uh, a couple may have a lower chances each month that they try to get pregnant, but it's not as if they have zero chance. Now there are those couples uh, who have um, no chance without intervention. For example, if a woman's fallopian tubes are both blocked or say a man doesn't have any sperm in his ejaculate, in those rare instances, there's no chance of fertility unless we do something for treatment.
1: And I wonder too, for our listeners, if a woman has a miscarriage, I guess a lot of times you'll say that's not so unusual, but if a woman has more than one miscarriage, is that somebody with low fertility? Would she come to see you for advice or would she go to a high-risk pregnancy doctor? So a
0: woman who does have more than one miscarriage, we recommend an evaluation. And, and you're right, there, miscarriages sadly are not uncommon. Uh, it, the estimates of course depend on the age of the woman and we do see the risk of miscarriage increase with age. But once a woman's had two early miscarriages, it can absolutely be bad luck, but we do prefer to look to see if there's any underlying cause that would increase the risk of another miscarriage. And yes, she could see a reproductive endocrinologist such as myself. Um, Also, uh, she could consult a high-risk obstetrician as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And I know in the end, you know we go through medical school or even we evaluate patients in our office when a person has a symptom fever or diarrhea or weight loss or or any of these things we look for changes in structure and function so in this case when you evaluate women or men you look at women and say okay um are the ovaries functioning normally let me check hormone levels or we look at structure are the tubes blocked is the uterus misshapen so we'll talk about the workup later, but what would you say are the factors that most commonly affect women first and then men? Let's go through them if we can. Sure, so the
0: factors that affect women uh, are generally factors that have to do with the quality of the eggs that are being released. So all women at all ages, even at the height of fertility, which is considered in humans to be somewhere in the mid 20s, there are many, many eggs that are ovulated that are not normal, they're not destined to fertilize, they're not destined to create a healthy pregnancy. Um, An interesting fact is that humans are uh, unusual in that sense. Uh, Most other species do not uh, release as many abnormal eggs or uh, for the male release abnormal sperm the way we do in humans. The percentage of abnormal eggs that are made however and released increases with age so that's one of the primary things that will affect fertility and probably one of the most difficult if not the most difficult thing to address because one we can't test it uh, for it excuse me and and secondly we don't have um, specific ways of improving egg quality when the problem is related to age. What we typically do, and we can get into this a bit later, is try to increase the number of eggs uh, that we can work with in any particular instance.
1: Mm-hmm. So egg so quality if a woman number has what one. you would define as ovarian failure, and again, this is out of a, a woman's control, it may be because she's had ovarian surgery before or exposed to chemotherapy or some other medication that caused damage. Or even previous radiation therapy if a person's had lymphoma or some type of cancer and tell us about smoking and what that could do i think that's a message people need to hear
0: yeah smoking is known to have very detrimental effects on fertility overall it also increases risk of miscarriage it has very negative effects on the quality of the egg and the quality of sperm so a lot of the chemicals that are uh, taken in when one smokes uh, tobacco, when one smokes marijuana, those chemicals are broken down, concentrate around the egg or concentrate in the semen and cause a lot of uh, uh, DNA abnormalities within the egg and the sperm.
1: Mm. It's important for people to have that emphasized over and over. And if a woman has endometriosis and for our listeners, endometriosis means, and tell me if I'm right, Maureen, that there's lining of the uterus we use the word ectopic. We talked about that last week with ectopic pregnancy. It means tissue in a part of your body where it shouldn't be. So, little pieces of the line of the uterus might, in, in, uh, I guess when the baby's being developed, might land in the abdomen, and actually you have your period outside your uterus, right? You you leak a little blood. And that's what causes people so much pain. And if any of that extra uterine tissue is blocking a tube a fallopian tube that's one of the things that could cause infertility am I right that I explained that pretty well you
0: did explain that well and
1: those cells uh, that are on the surface of
0: some of the areas like the fallopian tubes they cause a lot of inflammation
1: and and block the the uh, egg from getting through the tube into the uterus and the other as we said earlier if if the uterus has fibroids I know a patient of mine had a bicornuate uterus or a heart state uterus and uh, that made it difficult to carry a baby. Real quickly, the big question of the day, tidy weighties Do we do briefs or boxers? Tight Doesn't jeans? Doesn't make a difference. Can, yeah,
0: <laughs> There's actually finally been studies published about it and a man can choose whatever he wants to wear.
1: Oh, hallelujah, so get out your uh, your <laughs> yes. tight jeans and, and do the, the line dances at the radio. But again, the other thing is any kind of trauma to the testicles, like, Adults that have mumps, that that can be a source. We talked about chemotherapy, prior radiation, for those who have had, I guess, testicular cancer or uh, or lymphoma. All these are so important, but it's great to know that there's a choice. (laughs) Maureen will be right back and talk more about how you can protect your fertility.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on odyssey.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to odyssey.com and in the search bar, type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: And we're back on Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Maureen Kelly. Maureen, we talked about idealizing fertility by lifestyle modifications, the ideal body weight is important. We're gonna beg people to stop smoking for so many reasons. But I had a long talk with you the other day and learned some important facts about limiting caffeine and alcohol. I never heard before that a man or a woman should maximize at four drinks a week um, to decrease problems with fertility. And if you're drinking alcohol daily up to pregnancy, the man or the woman, it increases risk of miscarriage. People should know that. And of course, caffeine, the maximum is about 200 grams a day, maybe 12 ounces of coffee, get that little wake up. But, but remember, caffeine's also in energy drinks, tea and chocolate, um, and all those things are so important. I wanted to wrap that up quickly so I could let you go on about the workup. How do you evaluate men and women for infertility?
0: Well, we do several tests uh, over the course of several weeks. Um, now for men, we um, schedule semen analyses and uh, typically ask the man to uh, produce a sperm sample at home uh, using a sterile cup and then bringing it into the office. When we get it in the office, we look at it under the microscope and look at how many sperm are present how are they moving um, are they, and are, how, what percentage are moving as well as how strongly are they moving? Are they swimming forward or are they just shaking in place? And the final thing that we look at is how are the sperm shaped? What, how, what percentage of the sperm have normal shape? That's very important because it gives them the ability to swim well and it also gives the sperm a chance to penetrate the egg. So that would be included in the semen analysis. Mm -hmm. There are further studies that can be done if we find an abnormal semen analysis and we can talk about that if you'd like. But there are times Mm -hmm. when we need to do some hormonal studies on men also or have a man see a urologist who specializes in male fertility and have an exam. For women, we look at their hormones over the course of about three weeks. We're looking to be certain that their hormones will change um, in the ideal fashion from when they first get a period to the point of ovulation. If a woman doesn't have irregular cycles, we will be doing a full panel of hormones to see what's contributing to that. For example, we might look at thyroid levels. There's another hormone called prolactin that is secreted from the brain that can interfere with ovulation. So we'll look at those. We can look at some adrenal hormones that will also affect the quality of the egg or interfere with ovulation. We look at anatomic things through ultrasounds, typically done right there in the office as well. and. Uh, a, a, visualize the uterus, look for fibroids, look for polyps, look at the shape of the uterus. You mentioned someone who has a bicorneate shape. That's something uh, that is uh, someone that can be born with that. So we, we identify those things through ultrasounds within the office and also look to see if the fallopian tubes are open. Um, And we can do that a couple ways, but the main way is placing either some sterile water and seeing it flow up into the uterus and flowing out the fallopian tubes, or we can arrange to do a test in radiology called a hysterosalpingogram, where we put contrast fluid and watch it flow up into the uterus out of the fallopian tubes. So seems
1: pretty straightforward, Maureen, to put the water in do you put a dye in it or anything that
0: makes it easier to see that water? interestingly no it's done under ultrasound and Mm -hmm. so it has different appearance in ultrasound Um, and so you can actually see it moving along and out through the fallopian tubes and actually see it collect
1: in the uterus or
0: around the ovaries
1: Mm -hmm. and we talk about bicornuate uterus if I didn't mention this before it means that the the uterus is heart-shaped right so as a baby is growing and if the baby Uh, You know, If the fertilized egg is implanted up near one of the curves of the heart, you can see how it would be hard for a baby to grow in a situation like that. Um, And then when you start, I guess the first level would be to try oral medications, right? What are the more common medicines that people would recognize?
0: Well, what what we do after we do the testing, this evaluation, is look to see if there is something that's pointing us in a certain direction what treatment options are available. So actually our treatment recommendations depend on the outcome of that fertility evaluation. Let's say for example, we have a woman who has normal ovulation, but the sperm count is low. Mm -hmm. In that instance, doing an intrauterine insemination timed with her natural ovulation may be the more appropriate way to go. Similarly, if we find that a woman has a hormonal imbalance, uh, we will take measures to correct it uh, or use these mild fertility medications which will help to correct it, either Clomid or Letrozole that helps uh, induce ovulation. Um, And additionally, uh, as you mentioned, they're they're mild, they're medications that a woman uh, takes for just a few days at the beginning of her cycle. And then we monitor with blood work and ultrasound to identify exactly when that egg is going to be released.
1: Mm -hmm. So I remember probably 20 years ago or maybe 30 years ago, Clomid was the go-to medication. um, But one of the the negative effects, it might thicken the plug in the cervix and make it a little bit harder for, as you say, the sperm to swim. So you would do an intrauterine um, insemination or, or... put the specimen of the man uh, past that plug and and make it more likely to succeed. But then the the medication used more often now, letrozole, that was used uh, or still is as a cancer treatment, right? And you found that one of the benefits was it helps for the ovaries to release more eggs and um, it also gets the uterus more prepared for implantation. So interesting how a drug for one purpose can be helpful in other situations.
0: Right. And, and I think it's important to know that letrozole is it's not a chemotherapy agent. So of course, when people hear that it's used in cancers, they, um, they might get a little alarmed about that. Uh, letrozole is, is not a chemotherapy agent, but what it does is block estrogen. So for certain cancers, Uh, like breast cancer, for example, that's very helpful. Um, With letrozole's use uh, for fertility, we only use it for several days, and what it does, it just prompts your own system to work a little bit harder and communicate with your ovaries for an egg to develop.
1: So it fine-tunes it, as you say, in a very mild way. And I remember you saying that the side effects are pretty bearable, some bloatedness, maybe cramping little anxiety or or mood change, but for such a short time and uh, such a good outcome, they sound pretty tolerable. Maureen, does the use of letrozole or Clomid increase the likelihood of birth defects? Um, I'm just curious about that. I don't think there are any statistics that show that, correct? Correct.
0: Um, One thing, and, and, and not to be alarming, but one thing to know is that this concern about uh, fertility treatments and perhaps an increased risk of um, birth defects in children, uh, when the studies have looked at it more elaborately, uh, it is actually found that it's not the treatments that are potentially problematic. Unfortunately, we see in couples who may have trouble getting pregnant, they, whether they conceive on their own or they conceive with Treatment for like clomid or letrozole or even IVF, they carry within themselves an increased risk, slight, very slight increased risk of a child with congenital um, problems.
1: Well, that's a really good clarification. That makes perfect sense, especially if you're trying to help women who are a little bit older, and those issues are more likely in an older mother who conceives. Um, how about Maureen? Are there any long-term risks or long-term side effects from either the oral meds or those that you do use with in vitro fertilization
0: again not that we're aware of and this this has been looked at Um, there have been studies being published about this for for as long as I can remember dating back into the early 90s and uh, the well-designed studies and the studies that looked at thousands upon thousands of women did not see long-term risks.
1: Good, and no increased risk of ovarian cancer from being stimulated or, or anything Correct. like that. Correct, Beautiful. M- Lastly, Mary, well, we have a minute say, left. Okay. Does the birth control pill, does birth control affect fertility in a positive or negative way, or is it just no cause or effect? No cause or effect. Good to know, because I think that worries people too, that gee, I've had control over my cycle all these times, and now I'm off. And is it going to confuse my, uh, my hormone balance?
0: Unfortunately, it does not have a negative effect.
1: Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, I'd love to hear your take on the effect of marijuana and uh, other elements in the environment that affect fertility. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA one eight 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 Recovery. And we're in our final segment with Dr. Maureen Kelly. Maureen, I'm curious, does smoking marijuana have an effect on fertility?
0: It does. It does. It, it can have quite a negative effect, uh, particularly on sperm, and uh, can lead to even decrease sperm count, it also can feed back to the brain and uh, reduce testosterone production for example. Uh, And then again some of the chemicals that get broken down can have an influence on the DNA that is present in the sperm and around the eggs. So we really encourage our patients to stop smoking marijuana while they're attempting conception.
1: Sure, and maybe a little bit beforehand. And I would guess that would uh, apply to recreational marijuana. I wonder if that applies to medical.
0: We don't have much information about that yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Maureen, we're, our listeners are probably, um, especially those who are approaching an evaluation, read about phthalates, P H T H A L A T E S. And it's a. Uh, a ubiquitous chemical it's in plastics in the packaging of our foods and and beverages it's in water bottles household goods like shower curtains and our personal care products like lotions and shampoo we have inhaled these little particles we we rub them into our skin and it seems as though studies are making it look as though they can affect hormone levels and reproductive function in men and women there isn't anything we can do about that except um, you know live in a cave i guess but um I think we can find comfort in knowing that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and your other society, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, all of the scientists are working with those societies to identify and reduce exposure to these toxins. But if people read about them, um, what do you have to say about that?
0: well there there are some ways to try and reduce your exposure i mean one of them is just within your own life to look at some of your cosmetics or some skin products be certain that phthalates aren't present there try to eliminate plastic uh, wear from your kitchen um, and additionally cleaning products, detergents, all of those things, one can be very careful and choose uh, ones that have no phthalates in them. So there are some ways we can diminish it and it is absolutely true that there's concern about the effect on sperm quality and egg quality and even an early developing embryo.
1: Wow. It's just so humbling to to know so many things are out of our control. Maureen, if you have a final message for our listeners, what would that be?
0: I would say that I know that a lot of people are afraid to take that first step to come in and see what may be interfering with conception. Um, There are a lot of concerns about, does this mean it's going to cost a fortune if I look to see or begin treatment for fertility? Or am I going to be committing myself to have a pregnancy of twins or triplets? And I would like to reassure everyone that those are not the cases today. So it never hurts to have a conversation, a consultation, and just know what would be involved to take the first steps. Many, many times we find something quite simple that's very correctable, and we are extraordinarily successful with the majority of our patients.
1: Well, and I think you made a very good point, and that's why we tried to go through the ABCs of this. Something as simple as your thyroid activity. I know as a gi doc the first time i see somebody and once a year i always check the tsh or thyroid stimulating hormone because that can affect your gi tract which is made of muscle i'm sure it can affect the uterus and it can affect fertility in so many ways and when somebody comes to see you the first step is just a conversation and that can never hurt gathering information the more we know knowledge is power right yes it is well maureen thank you so much We've learned so much from you if people wanted to reach you or or see you how would they contact you um quite simply they could call the office
0: um 215-829-8110 or info at society hill r as in robert m as in Mary, dot com, and shoot us an email um, so we're very easy to get a hold of beautiful and can you repeat your website for us sure it's um society hill
1: r as in robert M in Mary.com. SocietyHillrm.com. Maureen Kelly, thank you so much. What a pleasure to have shared your company today. My pleasure too. Hello, your real champion. Presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. I know you've got the heart of the and now for your real champion. I call this the loaves and fishes. In recent year, we've seen an impressive emphasis on the value of service. School children, church groups, sports teams, but long before it was a requirement or an extra on your college application, there was Anne Healy Ayala. For 36 years, Anne Ayala served as Assistant Director of Nutritional Development Services for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. The mission, to feed the hungry, people of all faiths in the poorest parts of Philadelphia and beyond, with soup kitchens, food cupboards, and shelters. Ann has dedicated her entire life to fighting hunger. Maybe she was moved by her high school days at School of the Holy Child in Sharon Hill. The motto of the sisters? Actions, not words. Ann says, concern for the poor isn't enough. It has to be followed by action. Or maybe her college years at Hawk Hill, St. Joe's University. The profound influence of Father Ed Brady who started the Faith Justice Institute. Anne's senior thesis was on the relationship between malnutrition and brain development. Perhaps it was meeting Mother Teresa face-to-face. Anne volunteered at the Philadelphia-hosted International Eucharistic Congress, 1976, a historic gathering of saintly people with John Paul II, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Dorothy Day, and even Princess Grace. The message? See the connection between the Eucharist, which for Catholics is the body of Christ and the bread of life, and feeding the hungry, This truly fueled her. And did I mention her fellow students? College classmate Sister Mary Scully, and now head of Project Home, Maureen McCullough, Director of Catholic Relief Services, feeding people around the world. This triumvirate has been a force fighting hunger for over 40 years. In her time, Anne has provided millions of meals, coordinating federal dollars into child nutrition, private donations into community food programs. Each fall, Anne would organize the annual peanut butter and jelly drive, visiting countless schools, churches, and senior centers, turning them into a giant food drive, encouraging people to share their daily bread. She'd collect up to 90,000 pounds of peanut butter and jelly that would fill cupboards for the entire year. And when her own children were small, it was routine for them to ride in the backseat through North Philly making deliveries. This is where we find Ann's most significant mentor, her dear mother, Adele Healy, was a schoolteacher who befriended principals and priests at parishes with needy families. Anne has her own vivid recollections as a little girl helping her own mother deliver food to the poor. But Anne's reach went far beyond her own city. As local director for Catholic Relief Services, she organized the annual Rice Bowl Project. Once a week during Lent, usually a Friday, a family prepares a simple meal and puts the savings into a special cardboard bowl scan the app on the bottom of the bowl, and read the story of the family they're helping and pray for them. Raising up to $400,000, some goes to Haiti or Africa or areas hit by natural disaster, some stays here for food cupboards and soup kitchens. A true champion, Anne hesitates to talk about herself. Instead, she asks that I emphasize her collaboration with the Greater Philadelphia Coalition Against Hunger. This year's 25th year anniversary of the Race Against Hunger Walk, usually on Kelly Drive. It's virtual. Sign up until tomorrow on phillyhungerrace.com. Anne has received several impressive awards for her tireless work, including the Bene Morenti Medal from Pope Francis. She also helped on the planning committee for his visit to Philadelphia. Anne loves her Catholic faith and embodies the gospel message of the loaves and fishes to feed the hungry. But she was also drawn to food work because it's ecumenical, bringing people of all faiths together. We are called to love one another, and Ann Aiella answered that call every time a hungry child smiled after pp PB&J with some cold milk, and every time a lonely senior feels loved and finds hope in a bowl of warm soup. I can truly say that when I'm in her company, I feel the presence of a saint. We salute you, Anne Healy Aiella, your real champion. Thanks for listening. Visit our website, yourradiodoctor.net. Tell us about a champion. Listen to our shows. And as Frank Sinatra would say, spring is here. Always remember that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media Production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre recorded.